Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing on Wednesday nights, Lord, in this room. Lord, thank you for the community that you are growing. Um, thank you for the family that you have given us in Christ, Lord, that, that you have created this, this thing called the body of Christ. You've created this thing called the church. You have brought believers together who would laugh together and cry together and, and grieve together. And Lord, would we continue to look at what it, what it looks like to be um, a group of believers uh, making a difference in the culture around us, Lord? Would we be obedient and would we bring you so much glory, Father? Would we bring you glory in how we engage with the world around us? Would we bring you glory with the obedience of our own life, um, Lord? And would we bring you glory in the way that we, we love and encourage each other? Um, Father, we are so grateful for how you love us, Lord. Speak uh, tonight. Um, show us a better picture of who you would have us to be and would we not leave here unchanged, but would we be changed by uh, the word of God and, and by the Holy Spirit making much of Jesus tonight? It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay. The church and the culture is what we're going to be talking about uh, this week and next week. And really what's going to happen tonight is I'm going to do kind of this broad overview um, topical sermon um, that's kind of going to be a reference point for something that we're going to come back to about every three months in Renovate. And so what's going to happen is I'm going to talk about the question, how, how should the church engage with the culture around us? What's the appropriate way for a group of believers or the church to step into the culture around us? And, and we're just going to kind of look at, look at an umbrella view, a 30,000-foot view of that question. And then about every three months, what we want to do as a staff is we want to have a different guest speaker come up who is an expert, who's somebody that God, we believe, has given um, specific insight and wisdom into a specific issue or controversy or, or aspect of our culture to stand up here and speak truth into that. So tonight's going to be a broad overview of that question. How do we do it? Next week, we've got a guest speaker who's going to zoom in on one issue that um, is incredibly convicting for me in not knowing how to engage uh, in this part of the world and, and how to love people well in this place. So we'll get to a little bit more of that um, later in the sermon. But certainly, uh, I really, really would encourage you to, to come back and join us next week because it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be one of the more challenging things that, that we do. So how should we, as the church, uh, engage in the culture? But that's where we're going. So um, first, we need to realize that our culture is hurting. Um, the culture we live in is hurting. Uh, we can throw out statistics about uh, alcohol abuse being up. We can throw up statistics about the rapid expansion of the pornography industry in our culture. We could talk about that the suicide rate ha has grown 25% since the year 2000 of people taking their own life within our country. Um, we live in a culture and in a country that's hurting and we live in a culture and a country that is seeking answers, seeking gratification, seeking purpose, and not finding it in other things. Um, the the uh, depression rate is going through the roof. And it's a, a, a place where the church should be stepping in. And so we have this world that we are walking and living and that we will be raising kids in, Lord willing, and that we will, we will stay a part of for if the Lord tarries a long time, and it's hurting. It is in pain and it is hurting. And so the question is, how do we step into that? How do we step into that appropriately? Because really, everything is at stake. Um, our culture is at stake. I believe that our generation is at a turning point in this culture where we're going to set the pace and set the table for what this country looks like and how our culture is shaped going forward. And there's a couple of different ways that this has been done before. <clears throat> one way, two, two different extremes, that people can kind of swing to one extreme or they can swing to the other. 
One extreme of Christianity and a Christian worldview might swing to the place where they would really remove themselves from culture. They would remove themselves from culture because of all of the things in our culture that are wicked, that are not glorifying to God, that we recognize our disobedience. And so we, we can get this mentality, um, if you swing far enough, you're just going to become Amish, right? You, you're just going to wear Amish clothes and ride a horse and buggy and do the Amish thing and churn butter, and that's what you're going to do. Because you're going to remove yourself so much to say, I don't want to, be, I don't want to involve myself with technology, I don't want to be tempted in these areas, so we and our family and our church and our community are going to remove ourselves from anything that could be tempting, and you're going to become this Amish lifestyle, right? That's one extreme. The other extreme is the church adopting and compromising so much into our culture that there's no longer any distinction between what Christianity is and is called to be and the lost world around us. No longer are we offering any solutions because we're just accepting all sin, tolerating all sin, and because of that, not offering any real hope or solution. Um, Both places, the church really becomes irrelevant. There is a healthy balance. There's a healthy balance that God, through his word, has called us as the church to be and to have. And so that's what I want us to walk into today and kind of figure out. So what's it look like? First, we've got to define some things, right? We've got to define church. Um, when I say, how should the church step into culture, what do I mean when I say the church? Uh, here's what I mean. The Greek word is ekklesia, and, and that word ekklesia, literally it means a called out company or an assembly. And there's a couple of different ways that we can see in scripture this being defined. There's kind of a large theological broad way that the church is defined, and that's kind of this idea of a universal church, We see Peter, uh, when he's talking to Jesus in the gospel, specifically in Matthew, where he is told he will be handed the the keys to the kingdom upon which this rock, uh, the Lord will build his church, referring to Peter, uh, and kind of a play on his name. And so we get this idea that there's this universal church. We get the, the picture of believers in Bangladesh and believers in South Africa and believers in Australia and Mexico and Canada and all throughout the world, people who throughout history have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so, yes, there is a universal picture of the church. But also, very specifically in Scripture, we see a picture of the church, of how God uses the church, functions the church, designs the church to be local assemblies, to be groups of people who know each other and are known by each other, and they meet and congregate and are committed and submitted to each other. It's this very practical definition that we see play out. We see it play out, and we really see it play out in all of the letters that Paul writes. If, uh, if you're familiar with the New Testament, there's all these letters of Galatians, Ephesians, Galatians, 1 Corinthians. All of these are letters written to specific local communities of, of believers, these pockets of believers. Some of them met in houses. Uh, some of them met in fields, all over the place. But he, Paul, addresses these communities and says, yes, you, you, the church in Galatia, you, the church in in Philippi, you, the church in Corinth. And he addresses them in that way. Um, It's God's design for us to function. I believe through scripture, it is God's design for us to function in communities of believers to be known and to know others. That to be a part of a church isn't to be a part of a a tax-exempt organization, but it is to, yes, find a community of other believers who know you and are known by you, you can speak into their life, and there is a level of commitment there that you are submitting yourself to older leaders and and their sacraments of the church that are then in place. And that commitment is incredibly important because if there isn't any level of commitment that I might have with the church, uh, with with this body of believers, then 
for one, church discipline doesn't work. The idea of church discipline in scripture is something that God really has designed to be something loving, to teach. Just like my discipline, when I discipline my son, it's not because I don't like him, it's because I love him and I want him to grow up healthy. I want him to grow up making wise decisions. I want him to grow up and and not be selfish and not throw sticks at people. And so I'm going to discipline him in ways so that he might grow towards maturity. The same is true for us in our relationship with the body of believers. However, in our society and culture, there is, and in our generation, there is this perfect storm, this epidemic of consumerism, of preference, of the American self-serving, single-serving, I can kind of choose my preference, select my own beverage, select my own flavor of church, and just go that way. And so if that's the case, then if someone calls me out in sin, somebody points out something, somebody starts sharpening as iron sharpens iron, if somebody kind of starts sharpening me a little bit and it doesn't feel great, and I don't really want that blind spot pointed out, then I can just go to a different church. I can just remove myself from that community of people and go to a different place. Not to mention, not just with discipline issues that that maybe I need to be called out on, but even in just preferences. If a church gets a new pastor and I think, well, this guy's not as funny as the last guy, or this guy's funnier than the last guy, he's trying too hard, I want a different guy, or you know, the, the, the music here is better than here, or there's prettier people here rather than here, or in all of those ways, then those preferences drive our commitment to a body, then we're not going to grow, we're not gonna be known. I think the best example, best example I could give for this is a family. Right? If we see the church as a family, I have an immediate family that I'm committed to. They're, they're, we're stuck together. My wife, she is stuck to me, right? No matter what, we thick and thin, this, we are a unit. We've got kids, we've got uh, parents and, and aunts and uncles. And, and so we get to be a part of this community and they know me and, and I know them and I get to speak into their life and lead and all that kind of stuff. Then we also have the, the further extended family, right? And whenever we see those people and, and even just the idea that there are other Fuquays, my last name is Fuquay, there's other Fuquays in the world. And I root for them. And I say, yes, man, I hope they do good, right? I hope they represent my name well. In the same way that we as Christians should root for other churches. We don't look at other churches and other bodies of believers in other cities or other parts of town and think, oh, man, we're... No, we are all seeking to push out the darkness. We're all seeking to to build disciples and love people and be glorifying to God and usher in the kingdom of God, right? We're we're called to do these incredible things. So we root for those people. Um, And yet, all the time, we run into people that kind of have, maybe they have your last name, and you're like, oh, man, you know, like, gosh. There was, I, I was friends with a girl, um, and this was way back when, but her name was Katrina. And then, like, Hurricane Katrina came, and it ruined her life. Because then her name was synonymous with, like, destruction and death. And she was like, man, crap, right? Um, so that happens, right? I actually, um, so I, there is a, um, you, have you seen the movie The Magnificent Seven? You should. Uh, I haven't seen it yet, but... Uh, I hear it's good. Um, stick around for the credits, and you will see in the credits that movie was directed by Antoine Fuquay. <laughs> I have no clue who that is, uh, but he has my last name, and I write him every week for money, and he doesn't reply. Um, I Googled my name today. Uh, I Googled my name today, and I found out that there is an Iron Man triathlete guy. I got a picture of him. This guy. He runs Ironmans. His name is Ben Fuquay, and he runs Ironmans, and he's awesome. And I'm like, yeah, dude, represent my name. Go do it. Go for it, bro. Represent that Ben Fuquay and run really good and real fast and swim and all the things that you guys do. Um, then, I Googled, um, then I Googled Ben Fuquay glamour shots. Show this one. 
so this is, this is a little bit more the, this is a little bit more the camp of like, ah, dude, that's my name, man. You're ruining my name, right? Then I found this one. Mm. Not sure what's happening. I'm really not sure what's happening. Uh, yeah, let's get that one off the screen. Uh, right? We, here's the point, we as the church, we're representing the name of Christ. We as Christians are representing the name of Christ, and we should see the church as a family. We should see the church as a family, and we've all got family members, right? If you ever take a date to Thanksgiving dinner, and you've got that crazy uncle who gets like half liquored up during Thanksgiving dinner and says really embarrassing stuff, right? And you're there with your date, and you're like, oh, God, this uncle, oh, man. And you're kind of this apologetic. We've all got that. We've got that in the body of Christ, we have caught, rightly, we are a body, like even within my own staff, right? I am this awkward guy at times, and then Preston's really awkward at times, right? <laughs> they laugh because they know it's true. Um, right, like we, we're imperfect people. We celebrate the fact that we're a room full of imperfect people who are worshiping a perfect God. Um, and so, yes, we fight through our preferences. Yes, we stay committed and we say, man, and if you're not in, plugged into a church, then you're missing part of God's design for how the whole sanctification process works. Nowhere in scripture is it commanded, go get saved and then have a really great personal devotional with Jesus. You, you, you get saved and you are adopted into the family of God. Um, you're challenged to be with brothers and sisters and, and that is a part of how God uses the church, his function to sanctify us and to grow us. If you're not in a church, I really recommend you get in a church. And if you're in a church that isn't Christ Chapel, praise God. Stay committed to that church. You want to come and worship with us on, on Wednesday nights? Praise God. But there's so many great churches that you should submit to those leadership, be known and know others. Be known in a way where people actually know your sin and can call it out. Um, okay. <clears throat> Here's the other thing I want to say about that. We are a part of that family, right? Even this idea that we've got weird, you know, men who look like they have cleavage or we've got, you know, the crazy uncles or whatever it is, right? We've got the crazy uncles in our family and there's things about any, any body of believers, there's things about them that's like, man, I wish we did this better and man, we need to grow here. We have an obligation then individually to change that. We have an obligation and a voice and a level of ownership in the family of God that you're in. If you are a part, if you are a member of a church, if you've submitted to a church and made a commitment to a church, to say, hey, I'm gonna be a part of making this community more loving, more Christ-like, uh, speaking into those areas, bringing about change, leading, loving, and, and serving others. So when I say the word church tonight, which I'm gonna say a lot, I want us to picture the body of Christ, the local body of Christ. How do we, as the local body of Christ, partnered with other local churches and nationwide churches, step into the culture that we live in? How do we do that corporately and communally with each other? But then also, every time I say the word church, I want you to realize that there is a personal application attached to that because you should be a part of that. You should be a voice in that. And you should be saying, okay, how am I doing those things? If this is what the church should be doing as a whole, and I am one of the members of that family, of that church, how does that look in my life? We can't just look at the church and villainize it and say, man, they do a really bad job at this, without saying, wow, how am I being a part of changing that? How am I being a part of leading that and, and lending to that? And 
If you're in this room and you're not a believer, right? Not only are you not a part of a church, you're not sure that you buy into the whole Christianity thing in general. You're still kind of searching through that. Praise God that you're here. It is a good thing you're here. You are in the right place. It's important to know that you are welcome in this place. If you disagree with God, if you're mad at God, if you don't like God, if you don't believe in God, that's, that's an okay place to be right now. Um, I don't think you're going to stay there. I, I don't. Uh, I think God's going to get you. I think you are here tonight, and maybe you are stiff-arming him, and I don't think it's an accident you're here tonight, and I think God's doing something in your life, and I think he's going to track you down, and I think he's going to get you, but we'll leave that between you and him for now. But here is the thing I want you to hear. I think this is a perfect night for you to be at Renovate. We're going to talk a lot about the church, the local body of believers, assuming everyone in here is Christians, and we're going to be talking that way. I want you to feel welcome here and comfortable here, and then I want you to feel like, man, you get a backstage pass at this whole thing. That tonight you get to look at, it'd be like if, if you were trying to decide whether or not you wanted to date somebody and you got to secretly be a fly on the wall in their family conversations and dynamics and all of those things to see how this thing really works. Um, so I'm glad you're here. I want you to pay attention. I want you to engage. And I want you to ask, what kind of a God is it that we're worshiping? And what kind of a God is it um, that we're trying to bring glory to? Um, okay, uh, so how do we do it? It's what the church is, but how do we do it? How do we engage our culture? Um, it's a great question. It's a great question. Here we go. Let's get into scripture. Please, can we please get into scripture? Um, Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. Uh, we're going to throw it up here on the screen too. And by the way, I'm, we're going to be jumping into a lot of scripture here. And I'm just going to basically turn on a fire hose of scripture for us to really look at the function of the church. Uh, the definition of the church, we kind of walked through that. But now we're going to talk about the function of the church. And we're going to talk about it in the Old Testament and what God's people looked like and how they functioned in the Old Testament. And then we're going to talk about the New Testament and how God's people functioned in the New Testament. So I'm going to be jumping around. If you want to keep up, that'd be awesome in your own Bibles. But I'll also be throwing the scripture up on the screen. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8, it says this. For you are a people holy to the Lord, speaking to the Jewish people that God has selected. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So right off the bat here, we see that there is, uh, there is a distinction that God has called a people. He has taken a people and called them out and said, I am called you to be holy. Right off the bat in verse six, he says, for you are a holy people to the Lord. And so in the Old Testament, God chose to, to engage with this group of people, anoint them, select them, and say, you are going to represent me. And it was very important that he made a distinction. Not only are you going to represent me and you are going to be my people, you are called to be holy. Even so, all throughout the Old Testament, be holy as I am holy. And, and God said it is an important distinction there is an entire sacrificial law system in the Old Testament that is symbolism and pointing to the fact that we are unholy and we need sacrifices so that we might approach a holy God, so that we might find cleansing of our sins and forgiveness of our sins. And so the Jewish people were that representation in the Old Testament. 
Uh, in Psalm 4.3, even David says, but I know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. I know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. We could go on and on and on, but the, the point I want you to see is that in the Old Testament, God clearly says, I am setting apart my people. My people will be set apart, they will be holy, they will be distinct, they will be pure from the society around them. It's a really important characteristic and function of the church, of the people of God in the Old Testament. <clears throat> so let's look at Isaiah. Isaiah 43, verses 10 through 12. Verses 10 through 12, this is, this is what it says in Isaiah. It's up here on the screen too. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord and I am God. So we see this, this verse is a great transition between this idea that yes, God has called his people to be holy, but also he uses this rhetoric of witnesses. Throughout the Old Testament, while God is telling his people to be holy, he's also telling them to be a witness to the world around them, to the nations, to the culture. They are witnesses of how good and mighty and holy and that their God is the one true God. Um, we see that here in Isaiah. Uh, you are to be witnesses. Okay, let me flip to uh, the New Testament. Second Corinthians. Like I said, I'm just going to drown you guys in this. So Second Corinthians will be up on the screen. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 6, verses 16 and 17, they say this. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. So here we see the New Testament, even referencing back to the Old Testament, making this point, even in the New Testament church, even after Jesus has come and established the church, the Old Testament before Christ came, Christ comes, the, the New Testament church is established, and even here, Paul is writing to the New Testament church saying, hey, you are called to be set apart. You are called to be pure and holy. Do not touch unclean things. Be separate, he says. First um, John 2, 15 and 16, it says this. I'm gonna go fast here. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. We could give 40 scriptures of the, the church being commanded to say, hey, be separate from the world. Do not love the things of the world. Be set apart from the world. Be holy. Look different than the world. Over and over and over again, we see this cry of God designing the church to say, remember that pendulum swing way over here where you've got a church that just, there's no distinction? It's a command to say that's disobedient. If there's no distinction between you and the world, you failed. You're an irrelevant church. You're an irrelevant believer in what I've called you to, to do and to be and your function to be set apart. But 
There's more. 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we start to see, yes, you're chosen, but you are called to proclaim his excellencies to the outside world. In Acts 1.8, at the beginning of the church, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my, and here's that word again, witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You are to be my witnesses, God says, to his believers, to his family, the the adopted kids of God, the family of God, the church of God. You're gonna be my witnesses to to everywhere around here. That's how I've designed this to work. Acts 13, 2. Acts 13, it says, um, this is good. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, he says in, uh, in verse 47. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, which was the unbelieving world at the time, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. <clears throat> we could go on and on and on. I think it's important for us to see this. Scripture uh, cries to this, this contrast between us as believers being set apart, holy, separate from the the things of the world, not in love with the things of the world, but also engaged in a way that makes us witnesses to the world around us, that uh, that brings salvation, that we would be a light for the Gentiles, the lost and dying world around us, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Here's the function of the church that I want us to see. Our function as believers is a part of the body of Christ is we should be loving and discipling those inside the church towards greater holiness. Key fundamental function of the body of Christ is that we should be loving and discipling those within the church towards greater holiness. That's a part of the design of the church. That's what we should be doing. If you are a believer and you are in in a body of Christ, you should be challenged and encouraged and 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 lifted up. You should be in scripture with others. You should be, there should be avenues provided for you to grow deeper and deeper and deeper so that you might look more and more and more like Jesus. That is absolutely a function. But we also see us another function of the church that we should be loving and serving those outside the church as witnesses of God. So, yes. Love and disciple those within the church to look holier, but also love and serve those outside the church as witnesses of what God has done and what he is doing. Um, the danger of underemphasizing either one of these things is great. So let's say we underemphasize the idea of loving and discipling within the church, and, and we kind of say, well, yeah, man, let, let's just, we're, we just want to focus on the outside world. And we no longer are focusing on growing and discipling and developing and taking deep uh, believers. And instead, we just say, yeah, man, we just need to go out there. What's going to happen is we're not going to have depth as believers. Our roots won't go deep. Uh, there won't be real spiritual growth, Scripture would even say. Even the idea of uh, planting seeds, this metaphor of planting that comes up over and over and over again in the New Testament. Jesus uses this, this parable and metaphor of abiding and, and even seeds being cast on different types of ground. We're called to grow deep. And if we underemphasize that idea, the idea of discipleship within the church, then our roots are going to be shallow. There's not going to be depth. There's not going to be real fruit that's, that's growing. However, if we underemphasize the idea of loving and serving outsiders, 
If we underemphasize that and we spend all our time focusing on, man, let's just grow. Let's just huddle up and let's just keep growing and keep growing and keep teaching ourselves and more home groups and more of this and, and let's just keep hanging out with Christians and more Christians. And, and if, we, if we do that, we become irrelevant. We become disobedient to what God has called us and we become lazy and obese consumer Christianity. We become this lazy, obese church that, that is no longer fit to reach the world around us. We become irrelevant to our culture. Our culture doesn't care because we didn't care about them. We didn't love them. We weren't obedient in stepping into justice issues and darkness and, and loving the lost world around us. Underemphasizing both of those things is incredibly dangerous. We are called as a church to love and disciple those within, and we are called to love and serve those outside the church. So um, here's, here's what I want to do. Um, I want to talk historically, just for a second, on, on how we're doing. Like, let's just get a little bit of a report card of how we as the church in America, at least, in this culture, have been doing. And so historically, uh, I think we do sometimes this pretty well, and I think we do this historically sometimes pretty bad. Um, let's just pick on racism and even slavery, the issue of slavery. And there were some, some things that the church in the time of slavery and uh, when, when slavery was, was legal and there was an abolition movement Sadly, there were people who had the name of Christianity and represented Christ, and they would have called themselves a part of the family of Christ, who pushed against abolitionist movements in the South. There were churches in the South that are well-documented that said, uh, you know what, this is really going to ruffle feathers. And I believe out of a great fear and lack of leadership, there were many churches in the South that didn't support the abolition of slavery. Because they were afraid of how it would affect the churches in areas that are in the deep south and, and they would, it would ruffle too many feathers of the racism that was soaked so much into certain parts of our culture. But then you've also got people on the other side in droves who because of their Christian worldview stepped into that. Stepped into that. William Wilberforce in, in England. But even in America, you've got Samuel Hopkins. You've got even the Second Great Awakening, which was this revival that happened in our country. And from that, you had leaders of the Christian movement stepping in and leading the charge to say to our culture, that's not okay. Slavery is not okay. Racism is not okay. And man, I wish that would have been the end of it, but it's not. We still see that. We still see that struggle in our community now. So that's one of the issues that we even at Renovate, we want to highlight coming up soon. Now, how, what does it look like for us to step into racism that's still happening? What's that look like? Are we being driven by fear? Are we afraid to step into that? How can we? Politics. Um, uh, let me take a drink of water. Pause for a second. Look, I don't know who you should vote for. I really don't. I'm, I, it's not my role, and it doesn't matter, right? It matters. You, you should vote. You absolutely should vote. Uh, I really believe it. Um, I, I'm serious. You should vote. You shouldn't blow it off. You shouldn't turn it into a joke. You should vote. And you should really weigh your conscience on what that looks like. I think the one thing we can say, and I think the mistakes, there's times where, man, the church has stepped into political issues in really great, important, godly ways. And I think there's other times where sometimes we put politics before our worldview. And so I think that's the one thing we could caution ourselves and just check our own hearts to say, okay, is it the biblical worldview that I'm looking through? 
that is then determining political um, parties that I affiliate myself with or political policies because I'm looking through a biblical worldview and I'm reaching those conclusions? Or is it that, well, my family's always been Democrats and so we look through the Democratic lens and then we try to use scripture to back it up? Or my family's always been Republican, so we lead with being a Republican and then I've got to find scripture to support that as opposed to saying, okay, let's look through a biblical worldview. Let's, let's look through these issues. Let's educate ourselves. Let's challenge ourselves. And let's weigh some really hard things. I think this is a, a really, there's never been an election easier to be cynical about and to make jokes about and to just kind of throw out, oh, this is ridiculous, and, and to make broad sweeping claims. But it is, I think, a turning point election for us to say, how does the church engage in this conversation? I don't know, unfortunately. I haven't mastered that yet. But I think we should engage, and I think we should engage in a way where the world doesn't just see a particular political brand, but they see values and and morals and not political jargon, but but biblical rhetoric that we speak into the conversation, and not just to support uh, some political ideology we, we already were predispositioned to. So abortion, another huge issue. Abortion is an issue that there are pockets that we've seen, this church is an example. So we've got a pastor on staff named Lance Cashin, and he is stepping into some areas uh, to, to push against abortion, to try to save the lives because of the worldview that, that we have at this church, that life begins uh, certainly before birth, uh, either at conception or near conception. So because of that, that those, those lives um, still in the womb have inherent value and should be fought for and should be protected and, and pushed against. And so there's some really sensitive ways that this church is trying to engage that, trying to counsel women who are put in a really, really difficult position. Nobody wants abortion. Nobody wants abortion. But there are women who are put in really, really difficult situations. It's how can the church step in and help protect those lives and counsel women I think there's some ways that there are churches and communities of Christians doing some really good things. And then I think there's also people who blow up abortion clinics and kill abortion doctors in the name of Christianity. And by the grace of God, I haven't seen one of those stories real recently. And let's hope it stays that way. But I think there's this level of hatred towards that. It's, it's a posture issue. Galatians 6 talked about, we talked about last week. We should be stepping into the business of restoring things and restoring things with gentleness, Gentleness is a key characteristic attached to that. Um, sex trafficking. Sex trafficking is an issue in our culture. There's, there are people who are stepping into the issue of sex trafficking. Even in the city, believers, if you're uh, familiar with the net and what they're doing and how they're trying to push against that and, and how they're trying to rally people to be aware. And then there's other people who it's just oblivious to it. And I think one of the pitfalls there. It isn't, it isn't hatred, it isn't necessarily fear, it isn't lack of gentleness, it's, it's, this, uh, it's this ignorance that maybe we don't realize, maybe we don't realize that this uh, is a major issue in our culture. Maybe we don't realize that the DFW area is one of the largest hubs for sex trafficking in the country. How do we step into that? How do we educate ourselves and step into those things? Um, the last report card here is, is homosexuality. I think homosexuality is um, something that is in our culture that we as a church, I think we as a church have done a really bad job of loving people there and meeting them where they're at, speaking truth into their life. I think so often we just hold up picket signs, certain Christians do, I don't 
think anyone in this room, but I think there's this level of a posture issue there. How do we engage with that issue? How do we do it in a loving way? Man, if you guys have been paying attention at all, uh, Watermark recently, there's this whole thing with Watermark where they, they took someone through church discipline that uh, was living a, a, an unrepentant homosexual lifestyle. And they wrote this letter, and I'm not sure where you're at on it. If you've got questions, or if this you know, offends you, I'd love to talk to you more about it afterward. But um, they wrote this letter that was saying, hey, we love you enough to where we're gonna put some, just because we think there's something better. So we're gonna put some boundaries here on you and, and draw some distinctions. And, and we hope that what that does is actually encourage you to, to a light, to life-giving repentance. And man, it blew up. And it blew up and people were like, man, what a hateful church and I can't believe them. We've gotta look at that church and we as believers have to celebrate them and support them and encourage them because they're courageously stepping into an issue that's difficult to. In a culture that doesn't understand it, how do we step into that issue and love people well? Next week, uh, the, the one we're gonna focus on is this issue. Um, we're going to have a man here who um, is named Ricky Shillette, and he runs uh, an incredible ministry um, throughout the country, but they, their kind of main hub is in Arlington. And um, they're doing incredible stuff in speaking into the lives of people who have same-sex attraction. Um, I saw him do this presentation maybe four years ago, and it, it, changed, it changed my perspective in some ways. I will never be the same. Um, it challenged me in some ways that I had never really thought about. And I would say it gave me compassion for people who are homosexual that I'd never had before. We've got, as a church, to be able to step into these issues in a way that is loving, in a way that's gentle, in a way that's courageous and well-educated. And so from that, I, I want us just to talk about these pitfalls. I want to I ask you now, are, is your life lining up? Is your worldview lining up in these ways? Um, is the way you approach the culture around you, is it biblical? Is it biblical? Are you looking through the lens of a biblical worldview to engage whatever the issue is that might come in? Are we trained to do that? And are we training ourselves to do that? Is it biblical? And in order for you to be someone who can have a biblical worldview, guess what? You gotta study the Bible. You, you gotta study the Bible. You've got to be in the Word. You've got to be around other people who are studying the Bible. You've got to learn how to do that. You've got to be in a church that preaches the Bible and can find resources for you. If you're not getting that, you need to raise your hand more and say, hey, I want some more help, or I don't understand this, or hey, can we do something else? And if you don't like the family and you don't feel like you're challenged enough, then you raise your hand and you say, I want to be more challenged. Can I help challenge? There's men in this room who have even done that, who have said, hey, I want to, I want to do a little bit something deeper um, afterward to really dig in more. And so they meet in the hallway across the atrium and they say, we're going to take a, a piggyback off of whatever was talked about in this room and we're going to go even deeper and really in a smaller group, dig in a little deeper. Are you challenging yourself to study the Bible so that your worldview is, is biblical? Second, is it gentle? Is your posture gentle in how you're approaching others? us as a church, but also just you individually. Do you write like really catty things on Facebook to somebody who you disagree with? Are you short with people? Are you people that you don't agree with and don't like and people sit, are we judgmental? Do we stiff arm? Is there gentleness there? Are you informed? Are we well-educated? Are we well-educated on issues or do we just kind of get all of our information from one source? If you're getting your information from Facebook, you're screwed, man. You are screwed, bro. Um, 
right? Have a critical mind. And I challenge you to have balanced in, inputs, what you're reading. If you're reading all of your news from Fox News, then I challenge you to go pick a, a more liberal, go read some stuff on CNN. And if you're reading all your stuff on CNN, then go check the BBC and check other sources of information. If all of your information is coming from one source, challenge yourself. I, mean, I, wanna, I wanna have a more well-rounded view of how I'm educating myself and, and what I'm looking at. And then here's something crazy novel. Make learning about these issues personal. You wanna learn more about racism in America? If you're a white guy or a white girl, go find somebody who is experiencing racism and sit down with them and say, will you teach me? Will you teach me what racism, will you teach me what, what you maybe have experienced? And then shut your mouth and listen. And listen to that conversation and find somebody who, who's, who has experience or struggles with things and listen and learn from them and ask questions. Are we informed in the way we're stepping into issues? There's so many issues that I think we're missing on because we as a church are so distracted with ridiculous stuff. Are we informed? And then last, last kind of litmus test is, are you courageous? Are you courageous in those things? Um, being a Christian is all about faith. It's about putting your faith in an eternal God who we believe has sent his son to hang on a cross, to pay for the penalty that I deserve and you deserve. The God of the universe sent his son to die for me and I'm putting my faith that that was enough and I'm surrendering my faith and my life in Jesus. It's all about faith. And so as we challenge ourselves to step into cultural issues and then become the church that steps into cultural issues, are we doing it courageously? Or is fear holding us back and is fear slowing us down? Are people worth it? And let's just not make this about political issues and, and big, broad issues that's easy to hide behind because of the slowness of, of how much change would take. Your own life. Where are you courageously stepping in? Where am I, as a pastor, courageously stepping into the lost and broken world around me? What are the conversations I've had recently? Where have I put myself out there? Your coworkers, your classmates, your family members, are you stepping into those personal relationships of people who have a worldview that is robbing them of life and stepping in with a biblical worldview, doing it gently, doing it well-educated, and doing it courageously. I believe there are people that God has put in your life. And tonight, I hope that you get motivated to say, man, I'm gonna stop being silent. I'm gonna stop avoiding the argument because I don't think I know enough about it. I'm gonna start learning about it. Or I'm gonna start being more gentle in these conversations and that we could be a part of that change. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. Um, God, we're grateful that you have designed the church to do what you've designed it to do. Um, to be a place where, Lord willing, we are growing, uh, that we are looking more like you and growing in our holiness. Would that be the case, Father, in our own personal lives, that we'd be growing in holiness, but Lord, also that we would be witnesses that we'd be courageous witnesses to the world around us, that we wouldn't be complacent, that we wouldn't just sit here in a Christian bubble feeling protected, that we wouldn't hide behind arguments of ignorance or arguments of, of lack of courage, but instead, God, that you would, um, you would propel us as the church, a people that strives to look like you, 
uh, to a lost and dying world that we would care enough about people to love them that way. And Father, for my friends who are in this room, Lord, who, um, who are still far from you, God, would you just remind them how you love them? That this whole thing, this idea of being a part of a church isn't just because we wanted to become part of a social club, but Lord, we were a part of a church because we were adopted by a good father who loves us. And that the personal relationship that we have with you, the Father, through the Son and the Holy Spirit that indwells us, Lord, that that seals us to your family. And it is from that place the grace you have shown us. The grace you've shown us is a people who have all wandered from you, who have all filled a list full of things that are, that are unworthy to be in your presence, and yet you still said, I love you enough. I love you enough. And sent Christ Jesus so that we might know you. Lord, would that truth not only impact people in this room who are still searching, but Lord, would that impact and be the motivating drive behind our desire to love our city well, to love our country well, to love this globe you've put us on. Go before us, go with us. In the name of Jesus, amen.